and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Just about anyone who's been listening to the news knows about the vote of the Loudoun County School Board this last August to allow transgender students to use school bathrooms matching their gender identity. And Loudoun County resident Scott Smith's attempt to speak at a school board meeting prior to that decision about the sexual assault of his daughter in Stonebridge High School girls' restroom by a boy wearing a skirt. In an interview with the Daily Wire, Smith claimed that he had attempted to bring up the assault on his daughter at a school board meeting on June 22nd, but he was arrested by police before he could speak. This past week, the 15-year-old boy about whom Smith was speaking was convicted by a Loudoun County judge of the sexual assault of his daughter. Although it's always hard to get at the facts, especially in the midst of a red-hot political battle going on at the time for the governorship of Virginia, we still must ask, how can Christians view this event through a biblical worldview lens and help our rising generation of teens do the same. This episode makes some suggestions. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 55 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. The term worldview describes a person's assumptions about reality, the picture he uses to make sense of the facts. Because our sinful nature darkens our understanding of reality, one of the most foundational of all discipleship principles is that Christ's followers resist being conformed to the culture's false views about the world, building instead a worldview perspective transformed by the Spirit of God using His tool, the Word of God, to renew our minds. But our Lord does not call us to correct worldview thinking so that we can just withdraw from the world and criticize the awful people who hold mistaken worldviews. God has always intended his chosen people to bless those around them by engaging with them and helping them see how much better the biblical worldview corresponds to reality than any other view. A worldview addresses at least five components of reality. Our origin, where did we and this world come from? Our identity, who am I, and what does it mean to be human? Meaning, why am I here? Do I have a purpose that matters? Morality, what is wrong with the world, and how do we fix it? And finally, destiny, what happens when we die, and where is world history headed? We've identified foundational truths in Genesis 1 and 2 regarding our origin, identity, and purpose. Today, we look to Genesis 3 to answer the fourth question, what is wrong with this world and how do we fix it? We can't think biblically about the Loudoun County bathroom issue without understanding this component of biblical worldview. What is wrong with the world? As we ended chapter 2 of Genesis last week, Adam and Eve were joyfully married and ready to live happily ever after in Camelot with a lot of grandchildren. But chapter 3 begins ominously. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The distinctive answer of the Christian worldview to the question, what is wrong with the world, is that the human heart has been invaded by the moral cancer of sin. The only tree from which Adam and Eve could not eat was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One commentator explains what this tree symbolizes. It was a restraint on them. It was to remind them that they were not God and that they were responsible to him. Adam, in full knowledge of what he was doing, looked at the one tree and said, in effect, I don't care if I'm allowed to eat of all the trees north of here, east of here, south of here, and west of here. So long as the one tree stands in the garden to remind me that I'm not perfectly autonomous, So long as it is there, I hate it, so I will eat of it and die. Sin is saying, I will not submit to God. Oh, I may go along with God 99% of the time because I want to. But the cancer of sin will eventually cause my heart to say, I will not submit to God at this point. And Adam passed on his sinful nature to every one of his descendants. This is the reality that is called the doctrine of original sin. Paul explains it in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners." Every human sins because he inherited a sinful nature from Adam. I have yet to meet a parent who does not believe this doctrine. God appointed Adam as the representative head of the human race, guaranteeing in perfect justice that Adam acted exactly as Gary Yeagle would have acted. If I think it's somehow unjust that Adam's representative action caused God to impute unrighteousness to me— and every one of his descendants, then I'm in deep weeds concerning my own sin. Why? Because God declares Christians free from guilt for our sins on the basis of that same principle. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us as the head of a new race, causing us to be justified. Here are four major consequences of human sin. First, sin shatters the shalom that is, the peace of well-being, in four spheres of life. Internal peace, which could be called a man's relationship with himself, the shattering of his inner wholeness is seen immediately after Adam and Eve eat the fruit. 
their inner soul experiences shame, fear of God, and guilt. Secondly, disharmony occurs in his relationship with others. Immediately after the fall, Adam blames Eve for his disobedience to God. Third, disharmony occurs in their relationship with God. Adam and Eve hide from God, feeling ashamed in his holy presence. And Adam even blames God for giving Eve to him. The woman whom you gave to me gave me the fruit and I ate. Fourth, disharmony occurs in their relationship to the physical world. The moment Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the biological clock of their human body wearing out began to tick. Physical, as well as emotional, pain in bearing children begins, and God curses the ground, which Adam is called to work. The second consequence of Adam's fall into sin is that the sinful nature passed on to Adam's descendants produces sinful heart attitudes that lead to then sinful, destructive behavior. This fruit of the sinful nature seems to fit four categories of human life. We read in Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Our sexuality is corrupted. Idolatry and sorcery. Our worship is corrupted. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Our relationships are corrupted. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Our partying, (laughs) the way we socialize, is even corrupted. This is the answer to the worldview question, what is wrong with the world? A better answer than any other ideology or religion can give. This text also proves that Christians still have to fight their sinful nature. When Paul writes in Romans 6 that the old man was crucified, Paul is not saying that our old sinful nature is dead, but that our former self is dead. As the ESV says, we know that our old self was crucified with him. The reality that Christians all still struggle with sin is a profoundly important part of our worldview. It is one we need to communicate to non-believing friends, many of whom think that Christians are just morally better people than they are. Letting them know how much we struggle to do the right thing is a great way to draw them to us. The third result of Adam's sin is that the institutions that we humans build are corrupted by sin. God dealt corporately with whole nations upon which he brought judgment through Joshua entering the promised land. Cornelius Plantiga explains how corporate sin arises. He writes, all sinful lives intersect with other sinful lives in families, businesses, educational and political institutions, churches, social clubs, and so forth, in such a way that the progress of both good and evil looks like wave after wave of intertwined spirals. The result of all this spiraling and inheriting is devastating. Whole matrices of evil appear in which various forms of wrongdoing cross-pollinate and breed. 
We are born into a world in which for centuries sin has dominated the great interactive network of shalom, snapping or twisting the thousands of bonds that give particular beings integrity and that tie them to others. Corruption is thus a dynamic motif in the Christian understanding of sin. Our final observation about sin is that it corrupts human thinking. Paul taught Titus that behind an argumentative attitude toward biblical teaching is human sinful nature. He wrote, steer clear of stupid arguments, genealogies, controversies, and quarrels over the law. They settle nothing and lead nowhere. If a man is still argumentative after the second warning, you should reject him. You can be sure that he has a moral twist, and he knows it. Paul made it clear that human sinful nature causes people to cling to refuted arguments and faulty logic. We must make sure our children and grandchildren heading out into today's culture understand this reality. One of the most terrifying consequences of sin is that it corrupts our thought processes, like a virus that systematically destroys your hard drive without you even realizing it. Author Lewis Smedes recognizes this deadly result of sin. He writes, Nobody ever says to himself, I think I will lie to myself today. This is the double treachery of self-deception. First, we deceive ourselves, and then we convince ourselves that we are not deceiving ourselves. Let's attempt to examine now the Loudoun County bathroom incident through the lens of biblical worldview. First observation, the biblical worldview of the radical depravity of all men begins with radical humility. I myself am saved by grace alone. If I see errors in the thinking of others, it is only the grace of God that allows me to see them. Any hint of hostility toward those holding anti-Christian views betrays my disloyalty to Jesus' call to love my enemy. Any condescension convicts me of the sin of being judgmental, since the formula for judgmentalism is discernment plus pride. Alexander Solzhenitsyn astutely observed, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Our second observation is that the biblical worldview of radical depravity tells us that minorities and members of the LGBTQ community will be bullied. The intent of many who support very misguided policies on behalf of transgender people is to protect their dignity. We must teach our children, especially our boys, to step in and stop others from bullying those who are transgender or gay whenever and wherever they see it. Our Christian worldview tells us that protecting transgender students from verbal assault comes not from foolish bathroom policies, but from treating every human being with dignity because he or she, no matter how troubled, is made in the priceless image of God. That is the way Jesus treated the outcasts of his world, women, lepers, 
tax collectors, the poor. We need to lead our kids to demonstrate this biblical solution to the mistreatment of transgender students. A third observation about this bathroom incident is that the biblical worldview tells us that God created every human as either male or female. Every society in the history of the world has recognized this fact, which is proved by the sciences of biology, genetics, sociology, and history, to name just a few. To deny it is like denying gravity. It sounds good on Twitter, but when you fall off a roof, reality wins. There is no human right to deny reality and demand to be treated as if you are a boy when you are a girl. The right to be disconnected from reality is not a human right. It harms her to let her continue to believe that. A girl who thinks she is a boy in a girl's body is mentally ill. Such a break with reality is usually called psychosis and was called gender identity disorder before it became politically correct for the American Psychiatric Association to change the diagnosis name. It is time for Christians to stop fearing the label transphobic and stand up for the teen girls who are being victimized by transgender ideology. A staggering 41% of transgender people commit suicide compared to a little over 1% in the general population. The rapid onset of gender dysphoria among adolescent girls in 2021 has reached epidemic proportions. Gender identity confusion was nearly non-existent before 2012 and the internet among girls. Dr. Lisa Littman, an OBGYN turned public health researcher, found two origins of the conclusion girls came to that they were transgender. These are very eye-opening. First, the clear majority, 65% of the adolescent girls who had discovered transgender identity in adolescence, quote-unquote, out of the blue, had done so after a period of prolonged social media immersion. There are numerous social media sites, online forums, that facilitate the discovery of trans identity, all popular hubs for documenting a physical transformation, seething over transphobia, and celebrating the superpowers of testosterone treatments. Littman's second discovery was the prevalence of transgender identity with some of the girls' friend group was more than 70 times the expected rate. The atypical nature of this dysphoria occurring in adolescence with no childhood history of it caused her to postulate a hypothesis that is not politically correct. It is caused in part by peer contagion. In other words, this researcher, who makes no claim to being a Christian, believes that adolescent gender dysphoria has exploded in the past few years because a percentage of adolescent girls who reject their female bodies have found a peer group online or in person that feels the same way. This data, by the way, is cited in Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters by Abigail Schreier. The fourth observation when considering the Loudoun County bathroom incident is that the biblical worldview tells us that the first and most fundamental institution of society is the family. Local school boards should be accountable to parents. 
If Christians in any given community believe that an ideological agenda is being foisted upon their children, they should oppose it by speaking up at school board meetings or running for office on the school board or elsewhere. The attempts to muzzle Scott Smith by the Loudoun County School Board and the National Teachers Union appear to reflect the view that a minority of ideologues know what is best for kids, not parents. The fifth observation when considering the Loudoun County bathroom incident is this. The biblical worldview recognizes the reality of sinful sexual behavior. Rape happens. It has taken place all through history. The argument that Loudoun County's bathroom policy is wrong is not based upon the assumption that transgender students are sexual predators. It is based upon the way this policy opens the door to males who are. The fallen nature of sexuality guarantees that boys will exploit this policy to invade the privacy of young women if not their bodies, through sexual assault. You would think that the Me Too movement would tell something to the school board members. Boys will take advantage of a policy that allows them to pretend they are girls and use the same locker room or restroom as women. The final observation about this incident is this. The biblical worldview understands the problem of racism to be sinful, fallen, human nature. Scott Smith's attempt to get a hearing with the Loudoun County School Board was delegitimized because he was accused of being a white supremacist. Such an accusation was clearly the result of critical race theory ideology. Looking at CRT through the lens of Scripture demonstrates that this view is false at innumerable points. However, Christians can and should agree with some of the principles that CRT argues for, but not the movement. Racism has been structural in the United States. In my view, understanding the biblical truth that structural sin is real ought to lead white Christians to listen to our black brothers tell us how our majority culture thinking as white men harms them and those they love. The biblical worldview should also make us willing to admit that Christians are never fully sanctified and that often the treatment of black people by white Christians has been a horrific stench in the nostrils of God. Christians need to own this fact. But as a whole, CRT is an ideology that should be opposed by Christians. The solution to racism is neither reparations nor blaming majority culture whites for being white. The biblical worldview, along with all of history, shows that every race around the world has oppressed other races. This includes genocide committed by many black tribes in southern Africa. The disease of sin is not limited to Caucasians. There is only one solution to racism. It is treating every single human being as one made in the image of God. This worldview truth is at the core of the Bible's command to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Christians know that it is only they who can point the world to Jesus, whose power alone can empower fallen humans to treat others with the dignity they were created to experience. 
So Christians alone, through the lens of biblical worldview, have the truth to prevent incidents like that at Stonebridge High School in Loudoun County. The question is, will we keep these truths to ourselves or share them winsomely with those around us? To summarize this episode, Genesis 3 brings us to one of the most profound of all biblical worldviews, its answer to the question, what is wrong with the world? The answer is that the moral cancer of human sin has corrupted every human heart. No other worldview gives an answer to this question that matches reality the way the biblical answer does. Naturalism, for example, denies the existence of right and wrong, reducing life to psychological impulses in our nervous system. Humanism ignores the depth of human depravity, insisting that man is capable of being ethical and moral without the help of a deity. The biblical teaching about sin, though, is that, number one, it shatters the shalom, the well-being and harmony of creation, man's relationship with himself, with God, with others, and with creation. Number two, that sin corrupts our heart attitudes, misshaping our sexuality, relationships with others, worship, and the way we socialize. Number three, that sin corrupts institutions as sinful humans intersect with other sinful humans, building the institutions of society. And fourth, that sin corrupts human thinking, causing us to cling to refuted arguments and resist letting go of disproved reasoning. We then saw how helpful a biblical worldview understanding can be in helping the rising generation interpret current events that they are hearing about through the news. For further prayerful thought, number one, why do you think the biblical answer to the question, what is wrong with the world, is relevant today? How might you winsomely introduce this biblical answer into conversations at your workplace? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we complete our series, Guiding Our Loved Ones into a Biblical Worldview, with an up-close-and-personal look at Satan, his origin, work in the world, and the strategy he used to get Eve and Adam to sin, which he uses every day against us. Thanks for listening today. If you think this episode would be valuable to one or two other men, please let them know about the podcast. Music